Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Pirkei Avos podcast. This is Rabbi Shlomo Kohn, where we live with the ethics of the Torah. If you have any questions or comments, please feel free to email me at Rabbi Shlomo Kohn with a K at gmail.com. I'd love to hear from you. For this week, we begin with Perek Vav Mishnah Beis, chapter, chapter 6. Mishnah number two. And as I mentioned last week, the Mishnayos in chapter six are not Mishnayos, but rather they're Brysos. They are unwritten Mishnas. And the second Mishnah that we're going to be, or Brysa, that we're, we're going to be talking about today is, is um, a very interesting Brysa, which is said in the name of Rabbi Shua ben Levi. And just to give a little background, Rabbi Shua ben Levi was actually not one of the Tanoim. He was not a, a um, somebody who lived during the times of the Mishnah, but rather he was one of the early Amoroyim. The Amoroyim were after the Tanoim, and generally they're giving, in regards to their opinions, we give more precedence to the opinions of a Tana than, a, than, a, uh, than an opinion of an Amora, except in certain situations. And it's interesting to note that Rabbi Yeshua ben Levi was one of the, the few people who went up to Shammai, went up to heaven without sin. Or he was, to, and it's brought down that he, he the Eliyahu Navi took him up straight to heaven, which is a, uh, it's an interesting story for its own time. Now the Mishnah begins, Amr Rabbi Yeshua ben Levi. Rabbi Yeshua ben Levi says, Amr Rabbi Yeshua ben Levi. Rabbi Yeshua ben Levi said, Every single day, a voice, a heavenly voice, emanates from Mount Chorev, which is another name for Har Sinai, from Mount Sinai. Proclaiming and saying, what does this voice say? Close quote. Woe to them, to the people, because of their insult to the Torah. And the Mishnah, the Brisa explains, for whoever does not occupy himself with the Torah is called, Nikra Nozuf, is called rebuked. Shenemar, as it says, as it said, Nezem Zov Ba'af Chazir. Isha Yofe Visaras Tom. As it says in Proverbs, like a golden ring in a swine's snout is a beautiful woman who turns away from good judgment. The Oimer, and it says as well in Exodus, Bamidbar, Vahaluchais, Maisel Elokim Hema, Vahamichtav Michtav Elokim. And it's referring to the, the tablets. The tablets are God's handiwork, and the script was God's chorus engraved. The script was engraved on the tablets. Now, the Mishnah explains the verse. It says, Do not, Al Tikra chorus, don't read the verse as chorus, which means engraved. Ela 
Rather, the Mishnah is homiletically expounding the word cheros, if you pronounce it differently, with, with a different pronunciation, with a different vowel, instead of reading the word charos, which means engraved, you can read the word cheros, which means freedom. And what do we learn from this? If we change the, the meaning of the word from charos to cheros, the, learn, the teaching is, is that that there's, you can have no freer person, no freer man than one who is engaged in the study of Torah. And whoever engages in the study of Torah, they become elevated spiritually. They become elevated. Nachliel minachliel bamos, from matona to nachliel and from nachliel to bamos. So the Mishnah starts off with a statement that there's this heavenly voice that comes out from Har Choreh, from Har Sina every day, crying over the insult that is taking place to the Torah. And why is this? What is the insult that is occurring? And the Mishnah goes on to explain that the Elbaina Shal Torah, the insult of the Torah, right? The woe that they were referring to in the Mishnah, woe to them, the agonizing, um, painful call is because people are forsaking their duty, their obligation to study Torah in its proper way. And the Mishnah continues with scriptural verses. It, it brings psukim, verses from Proverbs, how if we don't study the Torah and live by its precepts to what we're compared to, that we have this golden ring, it's in the, the nose of a, of a pig. And at the same time, the Mishnah finishes off that with, a, with the positive. That somebody who, in, in, someone who engrosses himself in study and the ways of Hashem, he's free. Because as it says regarding the luchos, we expound it. The sages teach us that we don't, don't, don't read it charos, as engraved, but rather read it, read it as cherus, which is freedom. That someone who takes upon himself the study of Torah, the yoke of Torah, he, there's no one more freer than him. Now, there's a lot of ideas which we're going to get to tonight. A few ideas, actually. A few very important ideas that I wanted to just to go through. The first point which I wanted to discuss is the, the position of the Mishnah. You know, I, every week I try to keep the chain of why each Mishnah is, you know, continued from the last. And we know the last Mishnah Mishnah Aleph discussed and really painted a picture for us of all the benefits of Torah study, all the good things that can happen to a person when, when someone studies Torah Lishma. And the commentaries explain that the reason that this Mishnah is placed directly after the last Mishnah, Mishnah Aleph, which extols the virtues of Torah study for its own sake. 
is because once we talked about the benefits of Torah study, we need to continue to re-emphasize the responsibility that we, that we all have and that the Jewish people have when it comes to our, our accepting the Torah and studying the Torah. Because it's not just something that Jewish people, that we have the Torah, it's very nice, uh, you know. It's an obligation we have to engross ourselves and to study it and to live by its ways. So the Mishnah, following the last, the, this Mishnah is emphasizing to us the importance of putting our full heart and soul into the study of Torah, to really reaching our potential, to doing the most we can to fulfill our duty and to fulfill our, our, our obligation of Torah study. Now, one of the points which I thought was very interesting is that the Mishnah started off with this statement that every day this baskol, this heavenly voice, comes from Mount Chorev, Har Chorev. And we explain this to mean, this is referring to Har Sinai, Mount Sinai. Now, the question is raised, why are we referring to Har Sinai in the Mishnah as Har Choreb? Shouldn't we have just referred to as Har Sinai? What is the Mishnah trying to teach us from the fact that it's referring to Mount Sinai as Mount Choreb? Now, it's the Mish the, the Gemara and Shabbos and Talmud. The Talmud in Shabbos brings down that the reason that Har Sinai was also referred to as Har Chorev was because when, the, as we know, the story of Matan Torah, of the giving of the Torah, Hashem went to all the peoples of the world, all the nations of the world, and offered them the Torah. And each nation had a different reason why they refused it. One nation said, because, oh, it says do not kill. Oh, we can't do that. That's part of our, our culture. It says do not steal. We can't do that. And so on and so forth. And all the nations of the, of the world refused accepting the Torah. And the Gemara and Shabbos says that it's referred to as Har Chorev because it caused the destruction of the nations at that time. So the Gemara says, why is Har Sinai referred to as Har Chorev? Because from that place on Har Sinai, it caused ruin, it caused destruction to those nations, to the Gentile nations who, did, who decided to not accept the Torah. And it's very interesting because the Ruach Chaim, Rav Chaim Velazhner explains that if the Jewish people don't study the Torah, then God forbid the same ruination could happen to us. And that's why we're referring to as Har Sinai as Har Chorev, because it connotes a certain, a certain, um, I guess, ruin, ruination or destruction, God forbid, if we don't fulfill the, our, our, our responsibilities to Torah study. It's a little bit of a stronger name that that's associated with Har Sinai. And that's why the Mishnah is using specifically Har Chorev to give over the, 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 the seriousness of our obligation to study the Torah and how the lack of it 
creates this elboina, this, this insult to the Torah and to our responsibility. And in, in Reb Chaim Vlazhner, in, in Ruach Chaim, he, he explains that in his time, and I think in, it, the same could be said for our times as well, there's, there's people who say that they're not able to study because of Parnassa, their, their livelihood, they don't have time, or there's a myriad of reasons that people give that they're not able to study Torah. And he says in a more of a serious tone and a more of a, um, that a person, that the Jewish people were all at Har Sinai. We, will, we were all there. Our, even though if we, not, we don't remember it, our souls were there. All the souls of the Jewish people were at Har Sinai. And we know that the Jewish people, we all said, Na'asev Nishma. We will do and we will listen. And he says that the, the person, that, that when we said those words, we were making an all-encompassing commitment, no matter what. And even if it's going to hurt our parnasa, it's going to decrease our livelihood if we study Torah, or if we think it will decrease our, our, our parnasa, we still have an obligation to study Torah. So the excuse that a person has that I'm too busy, I'm working, is not necessarily a, a good excuse. Because when we made that commitment to study, to learn, to observe, it was a, a total commitment. And if, if you really think about it, this, this um, thought really leads to a bigger idea. Because when we think about what we stand for, our morals, our principles, if we're not able or not willing to give up of something of ourselves, then what do we stand for? So if we, you know, and, and that can manifest itself in different ways. So if we believe in something, we, we hold something dear to ourselves. We have a certain moral standard that we want to keep. So isn't it worth it for us? Isn't there a place where we need to stand up for what we believe in, even if it means giving up over of ourselves, giving up blood, sweat, and money, right? So if a person is working and they're not able to study, they're not able to observe because of the career tra trajectory that they're on or certain um, circumstances that they find themselves in in life. How, how could we say that we stand for certain principles and certain morals and yet at the same time not be willing to give up of ourselves or give up of our finances in order to stand up for those same principles and morals? So when a person says that they're not able to learn because they're too busy, right? But they believe in the importance of the Torah. They believe in, a, in, in, the, in, in, the, uh, in the ideals of the Torah to do mitzvahs and learning. So what do we stand for? Do we stand for anything? Because the only way that you know truly what you stand for, what you believe in is when you stand up for it when you're not willing to budge for the money, for the aggravation, for, the, for whatever's going to be thrown at you, then you know that you truly believe in certain principles and those morals. So 
God willing, hopefully we all try to live our lives with the Torah. And we believe in the Torah. We want to do what's correct. So when there come situations where we're going to lose money, we're going to have aggravation possibly. So don't we believe in the ideals and principles of the Torah enough to give up of ourselves, to give up some of our money in order to live our lives according to the ideals of the Torah? Because if we don't, if we say that we don't, we're not willing to put that money out or to put to have that aggravation or to, to put forth that effort, we need to really ask ourselves, what do we really believe in? What do we really stand for? And this is just a, a, a part of a broader conversation, which I think comes from this Mishnah. You know, I'm not saying um, people don't have challenging situations where they have a hard time earning a livelihood. Um, I'm sure there is. But I do think at the same time, everyone makes time for the things which, they, which are important to them, the things which they believe in. So when it comes, push comes to shove, what do we make time for? What do we give of our, reset, of our resources for? What do we give our, of, our, of our money for? And I think that's an important lesson that we can learn from this Mishnah. And another point, which I think is a springboard for and an, another conversation, which is, a, which is springboarded from this Mishnah, I think, is really a general discussion. You know, once we're talking about making a priority to learn Torah and fulfilling our obligation in studying Torah and what can hold a person back from that and the negative ramifications that can have, I think a, a, a conversation can be had about what is the point of working, right? What is the objective of money? What's our outlook on these things? You know, how much money is enough money? And, and these are questions which I myself sometimes have. And I think a lot of people have is that it, when it comes to careers and the balance between family and career and our relationship with Hashem, our, our learning that we do, our mitzvah observance, how do we balance the, the drive or the need for, for, for money, for capital, with the rest of our priorities in life? Right? Money is, is important. It's not something which is like, oh, I'm not saying money is not important. The conversation which I want to have right now is more of what is the correct outlook that a Jew should have when it comes to career, to money, to, to, to making money, how much money, um, what's the focus, how much effort do we need to put forth to, to make, to support our families, to support ourselves? Because, and it really comes down to this balance, because if we work too much, we're not going to have time to learn to daven, to do mitzvos, to spend time with our family. If we work too little, we might be in a situation where we might have, not have enough to cover for our basic needs. So my question is, and this is something I, I think about, what's the sweet spot? What's a person's outlook about, about making money and their career? How important should that be? And financial success how do we balance 
our financial obligations with our, our religious obligations and our family obligations. Because if you have too much weight on one, the others are going to suffer. So how do you do it? How do you balance it? Now, this conversation is really something which is something which is dealt with um, in the Talmud and in all the, the different, different Musa works as well. And it's something referred to as Ishtadlus. We know that by Adam HaRishon, when Adam sinned with the sin of the Eitz Hadas, the tree of knowledge, he was cursed that he would have to work the land in order to, to support himself, to survive. And that's the curse that is on us till this day. And that's obviously how Hashem wanted the world, that we should, it should work in this way. But the idea is, is that we have to do our part in order for us to be, I guess, to have what we need. We can't necessarily sit back and do nothing and expect that everything should be taken care of. Now, there is a level where a person has so much belief in Hashem, bitachon is referred to as, He's so he has such a deep conviction that Hashem is taking care of him because Hashem is taking care of him. We know that, right? Even with the curse of Adam Harishon, we say every day in davening, we say, mm-hmm. He opens up his hand and he and he and he sustains all creatures of the world. And because Hashem is the sustainer, he is the one who gives us the livelihood, even if we're putting forth the hishtadlos, the due diligence, we're, we're doing the motions of going to work. It is Hashem who's ultimately giving us the bread, giving us the money, for, you know, giving us our needs and making sure our needs are fulfilled. So how does this balance out of hishtadlos versus bitachon? I wanted to read part of a Gemara tonight, which can help us hopefully understand a little bit of these concepts of Hishtadlos, this due diligence that we're supposed to put forth, and bitachon, relying on Hashem. And hopefully can give us a little bit of insight in what's the proper balance. And I, I had a Gemara here, which I want to read through. And also, additionally, I want to read a little bit from the Mesil Sisharim, the Path of the Just. And hopefully, after we go through these two sources, we'll have a little bit clearer of understanding of how we balance our livelihood with our relationship with Hashem, as well as our family obligations as well. So the Gemara states in Brachos, Lamed Heyam and Beis, which is 35b, the Gemara says as follows, Tanar the rabbi is taught in a brisa. It says in the Torah, and you will gather in your grain. For what reason did the Torah have to say this, that you have to gather in your grain? Why did the Torah have to say this, that you will get gather in the grain? So it says in the verse, and I will give the rain of your land in its time, and you will gather in your grain, your wine and your oil. Why does the verse not state simply, and I will give the rain of your land in its time, grain, wine, and oil? It's not obvious that one would gather in the produce of his fields. Right. Why do we have to say that he in, in, the, in the Torah that you're going to have to gather it in? Right. It, it's an obvious thing. So the Torah obviously has no extra words. So why do we have to say it out that a person, Vasafta in the Shema, right? We say Vasafta, 
right? Because we know it's also stated in the Torah that the Torah shall not depart from your mouth, meaning that we always have an obligation to study Torah. So the Gemara continues, it would be possible to think that the words of the Torah are literal, that, and they're as they're written, that a person has an obligation to study Torah every moment, every second that he's up. There's an obligation from to study Torah, and therefore he doesn't have to, to earn a livelihood, right? So therefore the Torah says, The Torah therefore tells us and states that you'll gather in your grain, which tells us, that a person together has to do study study Torah and he has to do derech eretz, which is he also has to earn a livelihood. It should be the Torah that he does should be con- combined with the earning of a livelihood. These are the words of Rabbi Shmuel. Rabbi Shimon ben Yechayamer. Now, that was one opinion. Rabbi Shimon ben Yechay says, he says, no. He says, Efsher, is it possible? Adam harisha that a man plows at the time of plowing, and he sows at the time of sowing, and harvests at the time of harvesting, and threshes at the time of threshing, and winnows at the time of the blowing of the wind. So he's going through all the steps that a person has to do at its proper times in order to, to, to get a harvest. So he says, if a person does all these steps, What's going to be with the studying in Torah? So Rabbi Shem Bar Yechoi, he seems to be of the opinion that a person, he, he does all these things, he's not going to be studying Torah as he properly should. If people are so preoccupied with the whole planting and harvesting process, they're never going to be able to study in the proper way. So Ela rather he says like this, he says that if, if the Jewish people, they do what they're supposed to be doing, so then, whatever parnasa they'll, 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 they'll need, whatever livelihood they'll need, will be taken care of through other means. Hashem will take care of them. That's it. As it says in the verse, and strangers, it's in Joshua, will arise and shepherd your flocks. And the Jewish people will be able to study Torah. But when the Jewish people are not doing the will of Hashem, they're not doing the will, the will of God, then their work is done by them. And that's why the Torah has to say, So it's telling us it's there's a two parts to it. According to, right? But even the work of others is done by them. So there seems to be a dispute in the Talmud between Rabbi Shmuel and Rabbi Akiva, and Rabbi Shem Bar Yechai. Rabbi Shmuel says, when the Torah says, that you will gather in your grain, it's teaching us that there's a middle ground, that a person has an obligation to study Torah, but at the same time, he also has a duty to make a livelihood for himself. Because if he doesn't, he can't expect himself to that, God, that everything should just be taken care of for him. But Rabbi Shimon Bar Yechoi, he, he takes more a stringent approach. And he says that if a person is doing what he's supposed to be doing and he's, and he's um, committing himself to Hashem, he's studying the Torah, so then it'll just happen by itself. And the Gemara finishes. I just want to read this last part of the Gemara. It says, Many did, like according to Rabbi Shmuel, who says you should 
learn Torah and have a, have a way to support yourself. The also be Adam, and they were successful. But many did, some did as like Rabbi Shem and just studied Torah and they didn't work. The loy also be Adam, and they were not successful. All right. And the, the Gemara continues. He would tell, Rava would tell his students during the harvest and the planting, go work so you could come back the rest of the year and study. So he seems that, that it seems like we go according to the opinion of Rabbi Shmuel, who says you should have a livelihood and also study Torah at the same time. And so the, the commentaries explain that for the masses, one has to do his ishtadlus. We have to do our part in order to support ourselves. Now, there could be people that are on the level of Rav that they could live their life according to that high plane, that they don't need to do anything else but study Torah and they will be supported. But you have to be on that level. And that's not something for the masses. So the halacha is like Rabbi Shmuel, who says you need to do your due diligence. You need to go to work. You need to find a means to support yourself. And then, and also study Torah as well, together with your Torah study and your work, God will support you as long as you do your due diligence. Now, the, the question is always, how much do you need to do? And that really comes back to our Mishnah because we seemed, we, we were talking about how people who make their career, they make their job, it takes over their life. That's also incorrect. So what's the correct balance? And the... In the Mesil Sisharim, Rav Moshe Chaim Lutzato brings down, he brings down in, in the Mesil Sisharim a proper balance that one should have when it comes to work and study. And he says like this. He says, Rather, the true way is the way of the pious ones of old. Who made their Torah study their primary endeavor and their work to earn a livelihood subordinate to the Torah study. And as a result of the Torah being the priority and the livelihood being secondary, they, they were able to have a livelihood and Torah. For, in, for once a person has done a little bit of work, from then on, he need only place his trust in his maker. And not to distress over any mundane matter. And he shouldn't be worried about it. So it seems that a person has to do enough that's acceptable for someone on his level. Whatever that is, whatever is acceptable for a person in your situation to, to support himself in life. So that's the amount you need to do. And then Hashem will take care of the rest. And the, the way that it's, I feel like it's brought down to for us to understand in the most simple and the most easiest way is that if a person, once a person puts in their hishtadlis, once a person puts in their due diligence and they, they put that proper amount of effort forward. So then even if they put in extra hours, they're not going to be making extra money. The money that they're going to be getting is going to be the same as it would have been if they would have worked less. Because once you do your part, Hashem is going to take care of the rest. Because we know that the amount of money a person makes is set on Rosh Hashanah. And we know that Hashem takes care of every single person, takes care of every creature. And the, the, the parable which the Chavetz Chaim uses to illustrate this point 
is that if a man is a barrel of wine, which he gives, he uses to, to give wine out. So if he puts in a spout, he could get the, the wine could come out. But if he took, puts in two spouts, does he get more wine or it just goes out faster? It goes out faster. He's not getting any more wine. So the understanding here is that once we find that amount of effort that we need to put forth, that's acceptable. The amount you think is normal to put forward to that a regular person should, should exert himself in his, in his search of a livelihood. Once we do that part, so then we just need to sit back and relax and realize that Hashem is going to take care of us because after that point, and I don't know exactly when that, where that sweet spot is, that's for each and every person, I guess, has to try to find that themselves. Obviously, you can't be irresponsible and you can't be overdo it. There is a, a place for every person. But once you reach that precipice, so then we have to let go and, and realize that Hashem is going to take care of us and focus back on the Torah study. Because it's not we're not working to work. We're learning and we also do some working in order to support ourselves, but we know that Hashem is the one who's taking care of us. So therefore, if we have that outlook that it's Hashem who's the one who takes care of us and we just need to put forth our best effort, our due diligence, so we change our, 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 our focus and our outlook on what's truly important and what we should be spending our time with. And it's just important to remember this when we, we're just, you know, nowadays we're so busy and things are happening so fast and thank God people have families and jobs. But if, because if, and there's so many distractions, but if we keep the focus on what's truly important, that this, that the main thing, the primary objective is the Torah, my study of Torah, mitzvos, family. So then I think, I believe that our focus on career becomes less. Obviously we need to feel good about what we're doing. We need to be fulfilled. It's part of our lives, part of that overall balance. But at the same time, we can't cut out our relationship with Hashem because of our career. Because it ultimately, in the end of the day, the career is just a, a means to get us closer to Hashem. It's not an ends. It's a means to further our relationship with Hashem, to further our, 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 our I guess, our, everything, to help us survive. But it's not an a, a end in, in and of itself. And that's something which I think is an important lesson we take out from this Mishnah because the Mishnah was discussing this insult to the Torah that happens. And that comes many times from people forsaking the Torah for their careers, for their other things, for, for other things which distract people, which is distract us from what's truly important. Now, the, the Mishnah continued that this, that this voice comes out from Harchorah, from Har Sinai, and it says, woe is to the Torah, uh, woe is to the insult of the Torah, right? Woe to them, to the people, because of the insult to the Torah. Now, I wanted to get into a little bit, what's this heavenly voice? I never heard a heavenly voice. Maybe it's because I'm not on the level. But what is this heavenly voice that comes out from Harsina every day? So it's interesting, there is one commentary who quotes, it's a Tefaris Yisrael, he quotes from the experts in nature. He says that there, in the area of Har Sinai, there are these echoes or voices or maybe that people can't explain. I don't know, that's a side thing, but I just thought that was interesting. But my question is, is 
what are these voices, this heavenly voice they're referring to? And I saw explain the morale that the voices we're referring to are not voices that you hear with your ears, but rather it's a it's a heavenly voice which is heard by our heart, which is felt by our soul. Have you ever gone a few days without doing something good, without doing a mitzvah, without learning? There's a certain feeling of emptiness which comes into a person after they experience learning Torah or, or performing mitzvahs and doing good things for others. When we stop doing those things, a certain hollowness is felt in our heart, in our souls. And the Maharal explains that the heavenly voice that the Brisa, the Mishnah is referring to, is, the, is this feeling that we get when we're not doing what we're supposed to be doing. When we forsake the Torah, when we, we, when we didn't study that day, we had that busy day or busy two days or busy week, and we didn't open a book, we didn't perform mitzvot, and there's this nagging feeling within ourselves. And that's the, the, the baskol, the heavenly voice that comes to us. And hopefully when we feel that feeling inside of us, the point of it is to inspire us or to help us realize or to recenter ourselves to get back up the next day and to, to start studying again, to start doing mitzvahs again. Because we all have those down days. It happens to everybody. We all experience times where we're overwhelmed and we're not able to learn as we would like to learn, to perform the mitzvahs as we want to. And the Mishnah is telling us that the feeling that we get from inside of ourselves, in our neshama, in our heart, that empty feeling is a, is a present from Hashem. It's meant to, it's not meant to keep us down. It's not meant us that we should, the next day we should also not learn, but rather it's supposed to be an inspiration for ourselves to get back up and to keep going. I'm reminding myself of a story I once heard that there was once a, a Rosh Hashiva, his name was Rav Geldzaler or Geldzaler. And he was a Hasidic Rosh Hashiva, um, very special person. And there was stories that were written about him. And I believe even a book was written about him, how he cared about people, how he was able to relate to his students. And one of the stories which I remember reading is that he had a student in his yeshiva who decided that it was time for him to move on. And he went to this very prestigious place, this very prestigious yeshiva overseas. And a few weeks go by, and the student calls up his, his, his rabbi, his Rosh Hashiva, and he starts crying to him, you know, it's not working out over here. I haven't studied in a few, day, in a, in a few days. I'm not enjoying this. I, feel, I don't feel good about myself. I feel empty. So the first thing Rabbi Goldseller or Geldseller, the first thing Rabbi Geldseller told him was to make a lachayim, to make a lachayim. Why, why should he make a lachayim? Why should he do that for? Because, and he explained to him, he said that, you know what? There's millions of people in the world that are not studying Torah, that have gone days and weeks and months without studying and learning. And they don't feel anything. They don't feel bad about it. They don't care, frankly. They don't know to care. But you, you feel it. 
You're in touch with yourself. You don't feel good about this. You feel empty. So you should make a lachayim to the fact that you feel you're connected enough that you feel empty without the Torah. So many times we get this down feeling. It happens to me. It happens to everybody where we're busy, where things come up. The day just doesn't go how you thought it would go. Things pop up and disturb um, your plans. And really, it throws us off a lot of times. And many times after such days and weeks, we, we feel empty. You know, maybe I didn't do what I needed to do. And we have this feeling inside of us. It's a nagging feeling. I think we all know what it feels like. A certain emptiness, a certain hollowness, certain lacking. So the question is, what do we do with that feeling? Do we just wallow in it? Or do we say, you know what? Thank you, Hashem, for sending me that baskol, for sending me the heavenly voice from Har Chorev. Thank you for keeping me in touch and tuned. That I'm, you know what? I'm going to get back up tomorrow and start learning again and start davening again and start doing mitzvahs again because we're in touch with ourselves. So we should thank Hashem that we have like this fire alarm, this smoke detector, this you know, learning detector, mitzvah detector, that when we're not doing what we're supposed to be doing, we're able to feel it from this basco. And that's the basco the Mishnah is referring to, right? It's something that we all experience. You know, it's, I, I feel like this Mishnah is so alive to us because this is something I think that every person experiences, hopefully. That when we just are away, that emptiness, and that's the basco that we're talking about here, according to the Maral. Now, I want to just finish with one more thought. The, the Mishnah brought down the different verses that to back up the statement, right? We said that if a person doesn't live or doesn't do their duty to study Torah and to, to their obligation to do the most they can, to be the best they can be, so it's an insult to the Torah. And we brought down an example of, of a, it's like a ring. The person has a ring and it's put inside the, the snout of a pig. And then the Mishnah finished with a thought that someone who engages in the study of Torah, there's no one more freer than him or her, right? Who observes mitzvos, that they're the most free person in the world. So I just want to dwell on these two points for a moment. That of a person, the obligation of studying we have is that if we don't take the, the this ring and use it in the proper way, it's like we're bringing down the whole Torah with us. So the, it's it's a tremendous responsibility that we have to to take our obligation and our observances seriously. And when we do that, we elevate ourselves. We elevate ourselves, and it's not just that we elevate the world as well. And at the same time, a person who studies the Torah, right? Many times, I feel like in today's world, people who, who are religious and who, right, especially who, and, and who observe the Torah are portrayed as people who are archaic and out of touch and are slaves to the system. It couldn't be more further from the truth 
because people who live their life according to principles, live their life according to a set standard of morals, are they're subjugating their, their physical desires and they're controlling themselves. And that really comes to a question of what's free? Is freedom when you do whatever you want because you can't hold yourself back? Or is true freedom when you're able to control yourself and say, I will do this because I want to do this. And I will push my physical inclination and I will hold myself back and study Torah, even though it's hard. What's free? And I feel like this is a question which many people can't answer and don't want to answer because the answer to the question is a, is a different reality than, the, than, the, than what they know. Because many people think, I'll do what I want. That's freedom. That's not freedom. That's being a slave because you can't control yourself. You can't hold yourself back from your desires. But if a person has the ability to, to hold himself back, to, to subjugate his animal instincts, then he's truly free. No one can take his inner sense of, or his, no one can take his, his being away from him. He knows or she knows who they are and what they are. And there's a certain elevated status that they have. And ultimately, when it comes to self-esteem and confidence, I feel like when a person realizes what they're able to accomplish, that's how you build your self-image and your self-esteem, right? So when a person studies Torah and lives his life according to the precepts of the Torah and the principles of the Torah, that is something which is impressive. That is something which is significant. And when a person's able to build up their self-image like that and their self-confidence like that and their self-esteem like that, they are a truly free person because it doesn't matter what everyone else thinks. You are living your life in, according to what you believe is right and what you know is correct. So people could be driving fancy cars, people eating you know, very special foods and be doing this and doing that. Doesn't care, you don't care because I know who I am and what I'm doing is special. And I have, and I'm working on my connection with Hashem. I'm, I'm living my life and according to the way Hashem wanted, wants me to. And I'm doing, and I'm fulfilling the purpose of the world, which is to study Torah and to get close to Hashem. So with that, that will finish today's Brisa, right? Mishnah. I hope you all enjoyed. If you have any questions or comments, please feel free to reach out to me at rabbishlomokom with a K at gmail.com. Everyone have a great day.